Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Nancy Pelosi and the House of Representatives are going to deliver the articles of impeachment to the Senate on Monday. Not quite the Constitution, but the law requires that as soon as those articles of impeachment are delivered, the Senate has to basically stop everything it's doing and turn into a courtroom in which the president can be tried. So, so much for Mitch McConnell's request to put it off for a month. I think that his strategy, frankly, was, you know, if we can just ignore this for a while, things will calm down, people will settle down, and when we acquit Trump or when we refuse to vote to convict him, nobody will care that much. I really think that was McConnell's strategy. And in that, Nancy Pelosi said, thanks, but no thanks. We are going forward with this. So there we go. And right on schedule, you'll recall I wrote this piece over at TomHartman.Medium.com a few weeks ago. In fact, I think it was the very first piece I published on that site. Will Joe Biden let the Republicans talk him into shooting Santa Claus like they did with Barack Obama and Bill Clinton? And uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, we will see. But so far, it looks like maybe not. But already the Republicans are at it. The two Santa Claus theory, of course, boiled down into its simplest form is when there's a Republican in the White House and Republicans control spending in Congress, spend as much money as you can, as fast as you can, give it away if you can to rich people in the form of tax cuts. And what you can't give away, spend in the form of, you know, giant cash grants and things to people who are like on our side, you know, defense contractors and oil companies and stuff like that. And then the minute that a Democrat comes into the White House and Democrats take control of the Congress, starts screaming bloody murder about the debt and the deficit that was created almost exclusively and entirely by Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush and Donald Trump. But this was a strategy that Jude Wininsky laid out back in the late 1970s. It was adopted officially by the Reagan administration, and it has been the official Republican strategy ever since. And guess what? So far, in the last 24 hours, we have heard from Senator John Thune, the Republican from South Dakota, talking about, uh, he says, uh, for me, this is a huge, he says, the one thing that concerns me that nobody seems to be talking about anymore is the massive amount of debt that we continue to rack up as a nation. Yeah, Senator Thune, shove it. Then his colleague, Senator Rob Portman, Republican from Ohio, he he says, uh, the U.S. deficit levels are frightening. Oh, Senator Portman, we're all so concerned about your concern. Bug off. And then Jim Langford, the Republican from Oklahoma, he comes in and he says that or when the interest rates rise, the debts will become unsustainable and that will be too late. So we can't add debt. Right. These are all guys who voted for a trillion and a half dollar tax break for billionaires and big corporations when Donald Trump was president. Really need to be called out as hypocrites. Thune and Portman and Langford. And this is just the beginning. I guarantee you every single Republican in Congress is going to be singing this tune any day now. You know, they they all get the memo, as it were. I've got a story up today that I put up over at TomHartman.Medium.com documenting how the last six Republican presidents, basically, either came to power through directly through treason or on the coattails of someone who did. I put it up in the context of Donald Trump 
It looks like Nancy Pelosi is going to submit the articles of impeachment to the Senate, which means that the Senate trial could begin Monday or Tuesday of next week, which means that we may have a moment, an opportunity to finally hold one of our Republican presidents accountable for the crimes that they committed, either to get into office or in office. And that's kind of the frame for this article that I published over at TomHarbin.Medium.com. And, you know, it starts out basically with Richard Nixon learning that LBJ knew that the Vietnam War was just incredibly toxic. In fact, it was ripping LBJ up. He, he would just burst into tears spontaneously at times. I mean, he, he, the, the, the death of tens of thousands of Americans and millions of Vietnamese just weighed on him. And he cut a deal in the summer of 1968 with both North and South Vietnam to end the war. And Richard Nixon found out about it, or his campaign found out about it, and through a woman named Anna Chenault, they, they communicated directly with the South Vietnamese and said, if you refuse to go to the Paris peace talks and just hold out until the president, until uh, Nixon gets elected. Now, Nixon was running against Hubert Humphrey, LBJ's vice president, who was just as tarred by the war as was LBJ. So if Johnson could end the war before the election, I mean, that would be the ultimate October surprise, right? But he had been working on it for a year. I mean, it just, you know, it's the pressure. But they were going to announce that in September or October of 1968, that the peace deal was done, that the war was over. And Nixon got in there and said to the South Vietnamese, which is a very corrupt you know, right-wing regime, said, I'll make you guys rich if you'll just wait until I'm president. And so they refused to go to the peace talks. The peace talks fell apart. The Vietnam War continued. Another 20-some-odd thousand Americans died. Another million Vietnamese died. Richard Nixon committed treason to become president. That was followed, by, you know, obviously Jerry Ford, who came in on his coattails, and then Ronald Reagan did the same thing, essentially, with Iran telling them that if they would hold the hostages that they had taken back in November of 1979, if they would hold them until after he was inaugurated president in January of 1981, he would sell them all the spare parts they wanted for, the, for all the, you know, the military that the Shah of Iran had bought from American weapons manufacturers, which he did. He started shipping that stuff as soon as he became president and did so for five years until he got busted in 86. That was called the Iran-Contra scandal. So, you know, they, they got the Reagan campaign committing treason to make him president. And then, of course, George Herbert Walker Bush never would have been president if he hadn't been Reagan's vice president. And it looks like he was in on it, too, which is how him and Bill Barr engineered, you know, the, the, the Christmas Eve massacre in 1992, where they, where they pardoned Ollie North and, and uh, you know, Casper Weinberger and all these guys to avoid... Bush himself having to turn over his diaries from that Iran-Contra time. And then, of course, you've got George W. Bush, who was only elected because his brother had thrown 60,000 more or less African-Americans off the voting rolls in Florida. And the Supreme Court stopped the count. And then and, and he lied us into a war in Iraq. I mean, isn't it friggin' time to hold a Republican president accountable for his crimes? That might happen next week. I'm very excited about that, and uh, so that's why I wrote that op-ed this morning. And I hope you find it useful, and it's the kind of thing, I, you know, I wrote it in a way that you can share it with your friends and, and let people know. The site doesn't have any advertising on it, by the way, so it's kind of cool. I've discovered that, you know, medium.com is sort of like the YouTube of the written word. And, uh, you know, it's just like all kinds of really great writers on there. And uh, I'm, I'm parking a lot of my writing there as its uh, first place for hitting the Internet. The lawyer for the QAnon shaman, remember this guy with the, uh, you know, all body paint and, and wearing fur and, and the big horns and everything? His lawyer is now blaming Trump. His name, uh, the, by the way, the QAnon shaman is, is what they call him. He's, is, his real name is Jacob Chansley. This is what his lawyer told uh, KSDK, a local television station, or maybe it's a radio station. It's identified in this article as a local news station in whatever town it is where this rioter is from. His attorney, his name is Al Watkins, he said that Chansley feels, regrets his actions and feels duped by Trump's claims that the 2020 election was stolen. Here's the verbatim quote. Quote, he regrets very much having not just been duped by the president, 
But by being in a position where he allowed that duping to put him in a position to make decisions he should not have made. Let's roll the tape, the lawyer said. Let's roll the months of lies and misrepresentations and horrific innuendo and hyperbolic speech by our president designed to inflame, enrage, and motivate. What's really curious is the reality that our president, as a matter of public record, invited these individuals as president to walk down to the Capitol with him. In addition to this, uh, Huffington Post has now noted 13 members of state houses or assemblies, three state senators, a county commissioner, a, a city council member, a Republican congressional district chair, a district director, and the co-chair of the Michigan Republican Party were among those who were in that crowd. Amazing. John Berman on CNN asked Anthony Fauci point blank if Trump's lies cost American lives. The way he phrased it was, uh, did Trump's lack of candor and lack of facts about COVID-19 cost lives? Fauci said, you know it very likely did. Trump lied, people died, Anthony Fauci said it. Meanwhile, Mitch McConnell is, remember uh, yesterday or maybe it was the day before somebody called and said, what's this power sharing thing? And I said, it has to do with committee assignments or with committees. Because the Senate is 50-50, the, the committees are going to be 50-50. There's not going to be a Democratic majority on the committees. So who runs them? Well, back during, I, I think it was the Clinton administration when there was a 50-50 uh, Senate and the Republicans were in charge. They cut a deal, and, and, and now Schumer's trying to cut a similar deal where Democrats will get to define the agenda, just like Republicans did back then, even though it's 50-50. And McConnell is saying, yeah, it's a very nice deal, but I won't go along with it unless we can keep the filibuster. In other words, McConnell wants to hold on to his ability to demand 60 votes uh, you know, out of 100 senators, and he's only got 50 senators. For that matter, Schumer only has 50 senators, or 51 with Kamala Harris as VP. McConnell wants to keep the uh, filibuster intact. You know, I'll tell you, Elizabeth Warren is having nothing to do with it. Um, she says, I have just had enough of Mitch McConnell. I think the rest of America is with her on that. John in uh, Los Angeles, listening on KPFK. Hey, John, what's up? Hey, good morning, Freedom Fighters. I love you guys. I want to try to enlighten the QAnon people because I know they, they have a hard un understanding of facts, but maybe if they see the words come out of the horse's mouth, is that the way they, they phrase it? But anyway, they have Donald Trump wishing Epstein, who is child trafficking, his accomplice. I don't even know her name. It's a, it's a woman. It's in, if Trump didn't pardon her. But I, re I remember oh, her Maxwell. Her, they followed Pizzagate, which was false. But if they see the words coming out of Donald Trump's mouth, that is on film. It was on CNN. Wishing her well. Okay, so he's wishing a right. child trafficker well. So that, that just about sums up where these well, there's, people are. Well, there's an article that just came out in the last day or so, and I don't recall. It was in, like, one of the publications that does long-form journalism, like Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, The New Yorker. I'm sorry, I don't recall which, where I read it, which one specifically. That documents, there was a, a story about this story on Raw Story yesterday, actually, is where I learned about it, that documents this bromance uh, that uh, Jeffrey Epstein and Donald Trump had, where they were like best buds for a year or two, and uh, they only fell out when they competed to buy a, what ended up being a $100 million mansion down in Florida. But up until that point, they were like best buds. And some of these young women, they were sharing. They were actually sharing. And, you know, this article just documents the whole thing. So anyhow, back to you, John. Yeah. And uh, the other thing for the Republican Party, if, if they want to start a new party, there was a great party formed in, I believe it was in 1854, before the Civil War, but uh, they're called the Radical Republicans. And the man who the man who was prolific in this was uh, Thaddeus Stevenson. And he, his history is unbelievable. He opposed Abraham Lincoln, not for what you may think. He opposed Abraham Lincoln because he was he was against slavery, Thaddeus Stevenson, and Lincoln was pro-slavery. Mm. You know, and then after yeah. everything after the war ended, you know, things got mixed up. But I, if I could just say one thing real quickly, because radicals get a bad name, and the, the word radicals in a political context was created in the 1800s. The radicals were heavily influenced by religious ideals, and many were Christian reformers who said slavery was evil and the Civil War was God's punishment for slavery. 
So there you have it, Republican radicals. Yeah, and Stevens was, was the guy who pushed through the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Yes. That, you know, the radical Republicans really controlled Congress from the death of, well, from the end of the Civil War until, until the election of 1876 which is, you know, right. of course, African-Americans were stabbed in the back and Rutherford Hayes, right. the Republican, became president even though he lost both the popular vote and the Electoral College vote. That was the deal they cut. What an amazing time. John C. Calhoun, you know, who was uh, both John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson's vice president because of the Electoral College. He was no friend of Adams. Adams was anti-slavery. John C. Calhoun was pro-slavery. He was the father of the Confederacy, essentially. He was the guy who started the, the filibuster that Mitch McConnell wants to maintain. And he started the filibuster to block any efforts, including those by uh, John Quincy Adams, to uh, at least moderate slavery. It was insane. John, thank you for the call. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You can find an absolutely fascinating library of my writings, including my daily rants, over at TomHartman.Medium.com. You know, there's so much news coming out of the Trump administration, so much corruption, so many crimes. Oh, you know, now they're, now they're letting them, people kill endangered species. Now they're selling off, you know, the, the, the Arctic National Wildlife Preserve uh, refuge, rather, to, to big oil companies. Oh, now they're, it's just, it, it's a net, they're, they're, they're authorizing pesticides that we know cause birth defects and, and, uh, and damage to, to children. Uh, it's just, you know, step after step after step that it's so easy to forget that back in July of 2020, it was reported that Jared Kushner and Mike Pence's nephew, John Pence, created a couple of LLCs, American Made Media Consultants Corporation, that took $617 million of Trump campaign cash and nobody knows where it went. I'm telling you, these guys are professional grifters. We need to keep an eye on it. There's a whole rant about it over at TomHartman.com for supporters of our program. Russ in Hickory Hills, Illinois. Hey, Russ, what's up? You know, I heard you talking about Mitch. You'd be proud last night before I get into it. Your senator, Jeff Merkley, was on. And, man, because right away, you people in Maine, Susan Collins and what's his name, Romney, we can't afford $1.9 trillion. Wouldn't that be go a trillion? Your senator and Sheldon Whitehouse, Tom, just unloaded and told Mitch, be prepared to work seven days a week. We're not adjourning the entry feast, or we'll work through that. We want what we want. We're going to get it. We're tired of your yep. garbage. But your senator, yep. he was on there. I don't think you're junior senator. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Ron Wyden is our senior senator, and Jeff Merkley is the junior senator. Yes, sir. And they're both great guys. And Merkley, in particular, is a, is a, a genuine, solid progressive. Yeah, you know, and, and White House just told, like, Mitch, right on the TV last night, I don't want I don't know why it was. Rachel Maddow just said, we're prepared to work seven days a week. 
We will not yeah. adjourn. We want what we want. And we're going to get it. We're tired of you. You're pulling your garbage on it. Let's get it. Yeah, we've got some Democrats who really want to fight. And thank God for it. And, you know, uh, I, I wrote this op-ed a while ago, you know, is, is uh, Joe Biden going to let the Republicans convince him to shoot Santa Claus like pretty much every Democratic president has since the two Santa Claus theory got laid out, you know, and, and put into place with the Reagan presidency? You know, I was raising the question. I'm hoping the answer is no. If Sheldon Whitehouse and Jeff Merkley and a number of other, you know, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, a number, a number of other good um, U.S. senators have anything to say about it, the answer is no. Uh, and, and, and this battle over the filibuster is going to be the opening salvo. And now is such an important time to call your United States senators. We all have two of them, even if they're Republicans call them. And, and the number is 202-224-3121. I'll repeat that in just a moment so you can get a pen. And call your United States senators and tell them end the filibuster. The filibuster was put into place back in the era of John C. Calhoun, the founder of the Confederacy, in order to stall any attempts to end slavery or even soften the impact of slavery back in the day. It has been used by Strom Thurmond to perpetuate segregation in the United States and to block integration. It was used by people like Barry Goldwater to try to fight civil rights legislation. The filibuster must be ended, period, full stop. Russ, thank you for that. Kevin in Santa Rosa, California, listening on KNYP. Hey, Kevin, what's up? Hi, I've been wondering about this for years. You, a couple days ago, said that when you watch Fox News, it makes you feel sick. I feel... No, I said when I hear uh, when I hear Trump's voice, it makes me feel sick. Well, oh, okay. sometimes when I watch Fox News, I get it too. But yeah, anyhow, uh, continue. I Kevin. feel like it's pushing me away, and I've just been wondering if they might be embedding subliminal messaging into their broadcasts, and if anyone is looking for that, testing for it, that kind of thing. I would be astonished, particularly because it's so easy to record television these days and then play it back slowly. I, I would be astonished if anybody is trying to do, you know, the old popcorn in the theater routine. Um, I, I don't think they have to. I mean, they, you know, they've got these multimillionaires like Hannity and, and, and et cetera, who are perfectly willing to go on the air and lie to people, you know, lie through their teeth, Tucker Carlson, you know, the whole bunch of them. And, and tell average American you know, working people that, and, and retired people that their best interests are served when, when they vote on behalf of you know, Republican billionaires and <laughs> the interests of the Republican billionaires. So uh, I'm, I'm not seeing it. Kevin, thanks for the call. Cliff in Santa Clarita, California. Hey, Cliff, what's up? Only in America can a guy who used to pump gas at a Michigan Esso station become the greatest progressive talk show host in the country. <laughs> Thank you, Cliff. Yeah, man. What's on your mind? Hey, I, guess, I guess I'll have to stop calling you Fred or Professor Flintstone now that the menace is gone. Maybe you could yeah. send a couple bucks to the Biden group from Yosemite Sam or something. Yeah, well, the you know, FreedomWorks has me as Barney Rubble, if that helps. Yeah, okay. I got an email well, yesterday. Go. Dear Mr. Rubble, the Democrats want to impose socialism, Mr. Rubble. Socialism. Of they do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey, you got about um, 45 seconds here, Cliff. What's your, what would what, you call it? Uh, um, the fate of civilization, basically. Uh, the bees are dying, the bugs are dying, the birds are dying. When the pollinators are all gone, um, what are we going to do? Rely on scientists uh, to grow our food in laboratories? You know, a lot of yeah. us know of the un oncoming catastrophe and, and that it's real and extremely threatening to us as a species. So, I mean, like everything these days, it's been politicized, and like everything, you just follow the money. These extraction industries are ruthless and greedy, so it's my opinion that the only way they're going to stop drilling and poisoning our earth is we make it no longer profitable or give them a better alternative, and I don't know if renewable energy is there right now. What do you say? Renewable energy is there. It's cheaper now to produce electricity with wind and solar in most parts of the United States than any other source of energy, period. So we're there, Cliff. We just have a lot of work to do, and thank God Biden's got it on his agenda. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. It's also why the Green New Deal is so vital. We need to rebuild our infrastructure and our housing and our transportation sectors so that they don't use fossil fuels. 
Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, what's on your mind? Greetings, friend, patriot, lover of democracy. It's another glorious day in America, is it not? Indeed, and it's no longer Trumpistan, Chaz. <laughs> yeah, let's let's wrap up uh, Benedict Donald. For months and months, I'd wake up every morning thinking, "Are you freaking kidding me?" I'll be at a stronger yeah. euphemism. I just we cannot let the GOP walk away from being the party of Watergate and the Iraq War and the DC siege. I knew uh, Trump presidency and ran catastrophic. Thank you. I'll add that. I knew a Trump presidency would be catastrophic, including deaths, but I could not have imagined it would reveal how delicate our democracy is. So if someone says Trump was president, let's just say that was fake news. Instead of calling him president, he who shall not be named, Biden should refer to him as Mr. Art of the Deal, Individual One, Supreme Blasphemer, McDonald Trump, or my favorite, Fire Island inmate number 87679. <laughs> there you go. I, that, you know, uh, individual one rings a bell for me, I, you know, that that because it immediately <laughs> reminds you of, you know, that that was he was referred to as individual one in the indictment of Michael Cohen for paying off Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure that was that was that right. case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hope yeah. that someday he's referred to as a uh, uh, semen test specimen, so and so, and we get that moving. I'm just, look, Tom. I'm just glad yeah, we're for back Eugene to Carroll. President. Yep. Yeah, that I'm glad we're back to a president that goes to work before noon and doesn't spend twice a week dragging staff to fill his ailing property so that he can spend 25 percent of his schedule playing golf. I think it was closer to 30. I think almost a third of all of Donald Trump's time in office, he was playing golf on his own properties and thus funneling money from the federal government into his own pocket. I mean, this he was the most corrupt, not just the most disgusting president we've ever had, over 20 women charging him with rape and sexual assault, and, and, and not just the most grifter president uh, you know, we have ever had, but the most malicious you know, there are people who are saying, Chaz, that Donald Trump was incompetent, you know, like the response to COVID. They discovered that, hey, there was no no actual plan to distribute vaccines. Uh, Joe Biden's having to create one from scratch. Now we know why they wouldn't cooperate with the transition team. Right. They wanted to make it as hard as possible for Biden when he came in and no plan. And people are going, oh, well, he was ter- terribly incompetent. I don't think he was incompetent. I think this is malice. I think Donald Trump delighted in 400,000 American deaths. And I never thought I would say that about any any human being yeah. ever. But having Boxing talked with uh, you know Mary Trump and having talked with Professor Justin Frank, who have both basically said that, you know, that, that, that Trump delights in death and destruction. I think he's malicious. When your grandparents talked about politics, they would be scornful and they had to put up with nothing near as bad as we did, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Herbert Hoover was, you know, I mean, for three years, he basically refused to do anything as as uh, America sank into the Great Depression. But that, that's about hey, as Tom, bad as it's gotten. Do us a favor. Let us know what day you get no entreaties for money from the Trump, from the Trump syndicate. All right. OK, I'll do it. Chaz, thanks. Thanks for the call. It's great to hear from you. Benjamin in Jackson, Mississippi. Hey, Benjamin, what's up? Thinking about that remarkable statement that you just made that a president would rejoice over 400,000 deaths. And it just kind of took me aback. But well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I've, I've had a psychiatrist tell me that and I've had his niece tell me that. So I'm, you know, not specifically in those particular words, but but that he delights in in death and destruction. So, you know, it's his, his, I, I, obviously I can't read his mind. Or, or so- yeah, his psychiatrist. Justin Frank is a, a professor a of psychiatry at George Washington University, and uh, oh, wrote a book about Donald Trump called "Trump on the Couch." Oh, he, well, he should know. Anyway, listen, I had a question, and I was hoping maybe you could answer it for me. Uh, all this talk about the Muslim ban came up the other day with Biden uh, rescinding it and everything, and maybe you could help me out because I remember when it first came about, it reminded me of some confusion I had, and that was. Uh, why is it called a Muslim ban when Muslims from the four largest Muslim countries in the world were never denied entry into the United States? Uh, you're talking about what, Pakistan, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, Pakistan? Pakistan, India, uh, uh, Bangladesh, uh, Indonesia, yeah. 
Indonesia, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, um, I mean, Benjamin, here's here's the here's the uh, the the, chrono- the chronology. Okay, Donald Trump comes out and gives a speech, and he said, "We need to ban all Muslims from coming into the United States." Well, there's this huge uproar around that. You know, you can't do a religious test; it's in the Constitution. You can't, you know, you you just can't do it. You can't call it that. So then he then he comes back out and he says, "We need to ban Muslims from these countries," and he lists seven countries that are all more than. 50% Muslim. They are also all, most of their, you know, most of the Muslims in those countries, these are uh, mostly Northern African countries, are very dark-skinned Muslims. So for Donald Trump, it's a twofer. And that's why it's referred to as the Muslim band. But as I understand it, people from those countries, no matter what religion, were denied access. That, that's correct, because that's how he had to correct it in order to make it legal constitutional so so in other you words could, it was he, it was wordplay it's 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 set well, to it make was, it sound he, like something it really isn't he 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 tried to ban all muslims from coming into the united states that's patently unconstitutional and unconstitutional of course, of course it is, and illegal that, that's not right so then so then he that, picked you know, majority Muslim and majority black countries like Somalia and said they can't come to the United States. I think he didn't pick Bangladesh and, and Indonesia and, and obviously India um, and Pakistan because A, the, the majority of the Muslims in those countries are not black, they're lighter skin. And I personally, I think that his most of his animus is directed at black people. You know, the comments that he's made over the years, his dad being arrested at a Klan rally. His first job with his dad was writing C for colored on rental applications when when black people would want to try to rent, you know, apartments in Fred Trump's buildings. This is my personal opinion. I I can't. That's getting way off the subject. But I mean, basically what you're telling me is. If you were Muslim, you were not banned from this country for coming in if you were Muslim. So therefore, it is not based on your religion. That's correct. That's correct. But but the but the but the ban of those seven countries, they were all Muslim majority countries. There were no Muslim minority countries included in that list. And that's why it's generally referred to as the Muslim ban. Benjamin, thanks for the call. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's up? Yeah, uh, question is uh, whether Mitch McConnell would, being that he loves to have leverage on things, whether he would use the filibuster as leverage and tell the Democrats, look, you keep the filibuster and I will definitely get you 17 votes to make it that um, uh, Trump is convicted and then uh, also that uh, the second vote to make sure he never can run for office again, uh, you're going to get that as yeah. well. Schumer would not make that deal, Dennis. You don't make deals around issues of justice. Unless you're Mitch McConnell. <laughs> well, Mitch might try, but I, I can't imagine in my wildest dreams that Chuck Schumer would go along with, with a deal that corrupt. I mean, that, that would be... I don't think it's necessarily illegal corruption, but that's that's about as immoral or amoral as you could get. Uh, you yeah. know, to say, let me, you know, I'll nail Trump if you'll give me power, or I'll avoid nailing Trump if you try to keep power away from me. You know, right now, what he's trying to do is is uh, say, I'm not going to let Democrats run the committees if you kill a filibuster and by not letting democrats run the committees that's going to make it really difficult to bring legislation to the floor for a vote because typically it has to pass through a committee and that battle is going to play out in the next three days and we're going to see how much steel chuck schumer has in his spine and uh you know and whether mitch mcconnell buckles on this and i sure hope that the democrats hold together on this dennis i gotta run but thank you for the call nancy in minneapolis hey nancy thanks for listening to ktnf what's up I think Trump must be tried and convicted. Otherwise, we become enablers. People who have enabled the right wing throughout our history, it comes back to bite us. Lincoln enabled Robert E. Lee to go. And what happens? Lincoln gets assassinated. We get Jim Crow. Slavery brought another name. We enabled Nixon with Watergate. Uh, Chamberlain appeased Hitler. They got the Blitzkrieg. Reagan, Iran-Contra, no punishment. 
Bush led us into a war, no punishment, and now Trump's catastrophe. We nearly lost everything. And if he is let go, we have enabled him. We can't do that. We need justice. Right. Never again. Forget that. We have had five consecutive criminal Republican presidents. You had Richard Nixon, who came to power in 1968 by cutting a deal with South Vietnam. We know this now. We've got that. We've got it on tape. Lyndon Johnson talking to Everett Dirksen. I got the CIA, you know, wiretapping Nixon. And, you know, he's telling them, don't go to the Paris peace talks. We don't, we can't have peace because if Lyndon Johnson can bring about peace in 1968, then Hubert Humphrey, his vice president, will get elected. So Nixon commits treason to become president, and then commits all kinds of crimes, you know, bribery and other crimes while president. He skates. He gets away with it. Jerry Ford wasn't elected, so I'm not including him in this collection, but he pardoned Nixon, which I think was a crime. Then you get Ronald Reagan, who cut a deal according to the president of Iran, you know, according to, to Abul Hassan Bani Sadr. He wrote about this in the Christian Science Monitor a few years back. It's still on the web. You can read it. He said, you know, uh, he was elected president of of Iran in August of 1980 during the campaign when Ronald Reagan was running against Jimmy Carter. They had been holding the hostages at that point for seven or eight months, and he had run on a platform of freeing the hostages immediately. He won 74% of the vote. He goes to the, the Ayatollahs and says, okay, I won on freeing the hostages, so let's free the hostages. And the Ayatollahs say to him, we can't. We cut a deal with the Reagan campaign. We've got to hold the hostages until after Ronald Reagan's sworn in. Um, and, and they're sending us spare parts for the American military machine that we've got here that they had sold to the Shah of Iran, the, you know, that we took away from the Shah. And in fact, they had already started shipping spare tires for F-15s through Israel into Iran before Reagan was even elected. So you've got that crime, you know, the Iran-Contra crime, as, as you point out, Nancy. And then you get to George W. Bush, who, who not only lied us into a war, but he was warned. Sandy Berger on this program, Bill Clinton's national security advisor on this program, said that he sat down with the incoming national security advisor, whoever it was, in any case, and said, you've got to watch out for bin Laden. He's coming, and he's out on this program. And by the way, Al Gore told that to Vice President Cheney, and Bill Clinton told that to George W. Bush. Your number one thing, al-Qaeda is going to do something. They're going to do it in the United States. you got to get on this. And so George Bush gave Dick Cheney responsibility for that, and Dick Cheney, you know, his uh, counterterrorism task force, they didn't even bother to meet until August of 2001. Didn't even bother to meet. Instead, Dick Cheney was drawing up plans on who they were going to sell the oil to when they seized Iraq. Oh, and, and, I, and I forgot about George Herbert Walker Bush. He lied us into the war, the first war in Iraq, you know, saying, oh, my God, they're, they're taking babies out of incubators and throwing them on the floor and stealing the incubator. It was a lie. It was the daughter of one of the princes of Kuwait. April Gillespie, it was our people who told Saddam Hussein, yeah, sure, go ahead, take Kuwait. Because George Herbert Walker Bush wanted to have a little war because Margaret Thatcher taught Ronald Reagan, you know, with the Falklands, hey, if you can have a little war, your popularity goes up, you get reelected. So Reagan had his little war with Grenada. George Herbert Walker Bush had his little three-day war with Iraq. You know, it was necessary. He thought it was going to get him reelected. Didn't quite work out that way. And then we've got Donald Trump, whose crimes are multitudinous. I don't think we have had a legitimately elected Republican president since Dwight Eisenhower, and that was 1952. That was the year after I was born. We have not had a legitimately elected president in 70 years. And it's just mind-boggling when you think about it that way. And we haven't had a Republican president who wasn't a criminal in however many years it is to 1968. We keep on repeating history. We must learn from it and stop enabling this catastrophe. I am completely with you. And if the people, I mean, we have 147 members of the House of Representatives who literally, 197 who voted procedurally, 147 who voted on the final vote, not to recognize Joe Biden as president of the United States. Those people in my mind are, if not legally criminal, and I, and I don't think that they're legally criminal, are certainly morally and politically criminal, and we need to deal with them.
They need to be purged from the Republican Party. They need to be purged from our body politic, not to mention the, the, the 11 or 12 senators who were in the same position and their ringleaders, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz. We've got some serious reckoning that is necessary. And I'm not just talking about Trump and the, and the, and the hardcore criminals around him like Jared Kushner, you know, lifelong grifter, the father of a convicted, imprisoned grifter, you know, or Steve Bannon, you know, the former Goldman Sachs banker who's, you know, now accused of a felony that Trump just pardoned. We've got to purge the entire system. Nancy, thank you for the call. Spot on. Debbie in Springfield, Missouri. Hey, Debbie, what's up? Yes, I would like to say that I am so sorry about Josh Hawley. He, he's a beneficiary, and I just wish the hell he just, I'm sick and tired of him. He's your senator, isn't he? Yes, he is, but I'm sick of him. And yeah. I wish well, hell, uh, uh, I wish the heck that Claire McCaskill was in there. She's a heck of a lot better senator than anybody else. I voted for her. She absolutely I was. I had never voted yeah. Republican, ever. Not for two or three decades. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you, Debbie. And, and uh, you know, so therefore, you've got another senator from Missouri. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on who it is. Who's Roy your other Blunt. senator? Oh, Roy Blunt, that's right. So be calling Roy Blunt and saying... He's he's bad, too. I don't like him at all. Oh, I get it. You know, he's a Republican, but I would call, you know, right now, 202-224-3121. If I were you, I I would call Roy Blunt's office and say, you know, get that Josh Hawley out of the damn Senate. (laughs) Yeah. Debbie, thank you. Thank you. Spot on. Sandra in uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Sandra, what's on your mind? Hi. um, I have a question. Um, I'm really upset with um, Mike Flynn. Does he still have his four stars and does does he have his pension? Because I don't think he should have it. I believe he does, but I'm not sure. He, you know, he pled guilty, but, and, and that guilty plea was accepted, but then it got all blown up. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not sufficiently familiar with how the military and their pension system interacts with the civilian criminal justice system. So I, I, I just don't know the answer to your question, Sandra. I'm sorry. Um, but it is a good question because Mike Flynn is a traitor. I mean, there's just no other way to describe it. He's a traitor. He committed treason. And apparently his brother was on the phone call that, that where the Trump administration decided not to send National Guard troops to the Capitol building while it was being, um, uh, you know, while it was under attack from uh, Trump Trump lover, lovers. Dave in Yelm, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up? Hi, Tom. Hey, uh, I appreciate your insights and perspective. And I wonder if you could shed any light on logic or any rationalization for presidential pardoning powers. Well, this was debated by the founders. Um, and, and in fact, the debate is actually really interesting to read. I believe it was in July of 1787, and it's in Madison's notes, which you can find online. And uh, it was the one kingly power that uh, the people, uh, you know, there were a few people who were kind of fond of, of kingly powers. Um, and Alexander Hamilton actually was kind of at the top of that list. And they wanted the president to have this one kingly power to pardon. And one person, and I think it was George Mason, but it's been a, probably a year since I read those notes, um, stood up and said, but what if the president engages in criminal activity and uses the pardon power to pardon his co-conspirators so that they can't you know, testify against him or be held accountable along with him. And the response from several uh, of the people who were there at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia that summer was, uh, well, if that were to happen, Congress would certainly impeach the president and the Senate would remove him from office. So uh, we don't have to worry about that. Well, you know, they didn't anticipate how criminal uh, Donald Trump could be or was or is. And uh, so I liked the suggestion, you know, in the in the previous uh, hour where a caller said, you know, require, I believe it was Paul from Woodenville, Washington said, you know, require 50 votes uh, to ratify a, a pardon. I, for me, even 33 votes, even one third of the Senate ratifying a, ratifying a, uh, a pardon would be enough because that would require somebody to examine it. And uh, that's, that's something that I think we need to do. Dave, thanks for the call. Tim in Pivoli, New York. Hey, Tim, what's up? Yeah, another, another help for that uh, pardon problem could be don't allow any pardons in the last six months. And that would be a disincentive yeah. for people who want to do them in the 11th hour. 
Hey, Tom, I want to get your thoughts on getting through people who have been believing the, you know, the, the Hawley and uh, Cruz, etc. lie about the election. Why not give them a commission, put them in the brightest center of the public spotlight and say, OK, what do you got? Let them shame them because they will use that commission to promote their propaganda. It'll be like the Benghazi hearings, you know, where it was just BS wall to wall, but it went on for years and, and badly hurt Hillary Clinton. So, you know, I understand your logic, Tim, and I don't disagree with the logic. But if you look at the way Republicans have used hearings and commissions and things in the past, they just use it for blatant propaganda and to lie to people. So, no, I'm not I'm not in favor of it. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. George in Palm Desert, California. Hey, George, what's up? Yeah, hi, Tom. I got a quick question that uh, neither I nor any of my friends can get an answer for. But first, I did want to shout out, I believe you originally told uh, your audience about a documentary called Game Changer on Netflix, which I mm-hmm. watched, and a light bulb went off in my head, and then the sheltering did help me, but I got mostly into a plant-based diet. I took off 10 pounds, been to my doctor for my semi-annual blood test, and he's in, in just total praise of my blood work and the way I look, my skin, losing 10 pounds. So that's from that one documentary. But the question I really have is that I can't seem to find the answer to is how many people on January 6th were on the mall there, Trump supporters? Uh, I've heard 100,000 on CNN. I've heard 10,000. And um, so do you have an answer to that? There were two things. There was the there was the actual rally, which was organized by uh, Ginny Thomas's group, uh, Women for Something or Other, and then there was the march down to the Capitol building and the seize the, the the storming of the Capitol building. And my understanding is that there were a number of people who came for the rally who didn't go to the Capitol building. But what those relative numbers were, and then and then the specific number of people who actually entered the Capitol building, I'm not sure anybody knows at this point. I'm guessing that the FBI and those folks who are trying to find the people who committed the crimes are, you know, sorting through the video and coming up with a reasonable count. Um, what I had heard was that it was in the in the thousands, not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, but thousands. But uh, yep. frankly, George, I, I just don't have the answer to the question. I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry. Um, yeah, the few pictures thanks, I've thanks, seen, uh, we, we kind of look at them and it looks like about five or ten thousand people, you know, but the, yeah, that would you hear that, oh, there was a hundred thousand people there. So I don't know. Well, no, that, that, that's probably, uh, you know, more, more smoke and mirrors coming out of Trump. George, thanks a lot for the call. Mayor in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Mayor, what's up? I think the riot on the 6th, uh, we, we should call it what it really was. It was the white privilege riot. I mean, what else can you call it? I mean, these people had their full faces out in public. They were, they were giddy as they videoed themselves and each other i mean and now they're shocked 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 that they're being arrested (laughs) yeah well they really thought that they were going to help bring down our our government and replace it with a donald trump run you know kind of soviet style state and uh, they failed i i I call it a failed coup not even a coup attempt it was a it was a coup that failed and, and it well, should be treated as it, such. You could call it the failed white privilege riot. You could call it that. 
but yeah, I'm oh, with yeah. you. Another, another, quick, another quick thought. Uh, you know, we're talking about getting rid of the filibuster. You know what absolutely has to go? The uh, anonymous hold. That baby's got to go. That is yep. just an awful, awful rule. Yep, I agree. And uh, and maybe they should bring back blue slipping too. Although I'm I'm not enough of a Senate wonk to know uh, you know if if uh, that's a good idea or not. But uh, Mayor, I'm with you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call, Gina. In uh, also in Pennsylvania, in Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. I'm yeah, sure Kansha that's Hocken. not how you Hi, say Tom. it. Okay. Hey, hey, Gina. What's up? Oh well, what's up is uh, you mentioned earlier. Are you talking about the representation of the rich? Specifically, you mentioned the example of the Cosby Brownstone, I think, um, uh, perhaps uh, versus the Carrington Mansion and how the representations of wealth have just gotten more and more grotesque. And uh, what I wanted to say was that I think that uh, that uh, ever-growing and ever-expanding grotesque nature of the representation of wealth has been part of the uh, oh gosh I, i'm sorry i'm so excited to be talking to you because um it seems to me like you hit on something really important that that popular culture has been used in a way to democratize sociopathy so that those kinds of images we were lulled into uh, the place we got to where people like you and me you know who have jobs or college educations who generally think of ourselves as good people i would think of myself as generally being on your side of the aisle and yours is being on my side of the aisle generally speaking although we would have some differences we were also people that that, uh, you know, that we're able to live in a society where pe- some people who were generally understood to be very disadvantaged were for some temporary moment deemed essential and since we all understood to at least their possible death while we sat at home. That is a kind of society that has to be created over time. And I guess I just wanted to offer that what you offered in terms of wealth was somewhat incomplete, uh, at least by my life. I think that it's actually a much more insidious thing that happened because there is an unbroken line um, between uh, Cosby and before Cosby and what it is that we had represented uh, before you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous, as the prior uh, caller mentioned, uh, you know, that kind of grotesque representation of wealth, we were all strung along on that. I watch lifestyle of the rich and famous. Yeah. You no, know, I'm, I, I'm, with you. I'm, I'm with you, Gina. Gina, no, you, you, said it, you said it very well, and, and thank you for doing so. Back in the 1970s, um, and I've, I've been looking for this study for years. I heard this on uh, Michigan State University's uh, uh, NPR station. Uh, the, some researchers there had done work on squirrels. Squirrels build nests in trees. You could see them in the winter when the trees lose their leaves. They do it in deciduous trees. And they went out and added leaves to a small number of squirrels' nests to make them about 20% bigger. And what they found was uh, over the next few months, all the other squirrels made their nests bigger. Now, this probably goes back to some kind of survival thing about, you know, squirrels make their nests smaller or larger based on some way of knowing how severe the winter is going to be. But it's, you know, we're mammals just like squirrels are. And when we see people with bigger nests than ours being represented as normal with Dallas and Dynasty and all this stuff and all these other, you know, everything else, represented as normal, we start feeling like, oh my God, I've got to make my nest bigger. You know, I've got to protect myself for the winter. It's, this, is a, this is deep, deep inside our DNA. And that, those kinds of representations, I think, really mess with people's minds. And, you know, and, and, and rich people, you know, Donald Trump strutting around on Apprentice and stuff like that. I mean, th- this whole celebration of wealth and, and power and the power that comes from wealth has really, really twisted American society uh, over the last 40 years since Reagan began the celebration of wealth in America. We'll be back with more of your calls in just You're a moment. listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's on your mind? Hey, uh, one of the uh, things that you already mentioned that uh, Republicans do is they, they become deficit hawks. 
and whenever a Democrat is president. Donald Trump just ran up yeah. six, excuse me, eight trillion dollars in deficits for his fiscal years, which is the same amount of money that Obama saw in his eight years of deficits. So uh, he, they had that uh, $4 trillion in, in uh, stimulus working for them. But what the Republicans are starting to talk about again is tax inversions. And they used tax inversions uh, the last time around after Obama knocked off $400 billion off of the deficit. They were afraid that he was going to have a balanced budget in his last years. So they, uh, they got corporations to locate their, uh, um, corp- their corporate offices in a, into other countries so that uh, we would... Right, this is where Apple moved their headquarters to, to Ireland. Yeah, and, and quite a few of them did that. It, that became a really big thing in his second term. This was after mm. Obama was up. It looked like he might be able to balance the budget. Yeah, absolutely. And, and something needs to be done about it. I mean, there's just so much that something needs to be done about it. Larry, thank you for the call. Sam in Corvallis. Let's try it again, Sam. What's up? Hey, Tom. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on... Uh, kind of some of the perceived limits of Western democracies when we compare ourselves to social metrics, you know, from China. We can see that China is increasing or decreasing the rates of poverty, increasing the availability of education, their financial power in the globe is, you know, the top five banks in the world are all Chinese. They're making investments in Africa, Asia. Um, and it seems like the West isn't offering as good as a deal to some of these uh, developing countries as China. And I'm just curious to hear kind of what do you think the direction of uh, foreign policy is as a unit of, of, in terms of Western democracies going forward? China, China would not by and large be able to do this if it wasn't for the opening of China, you know, of uh, the, the admission of China into, first of all, per- permanent normal trade relations, and then secondly, the uh, PNTR, which Bernie Sanders was yelling about back in the 90s um, on this program, <laughs> or actually in the t- early 2000s, excuse me, and, and uh, on this program. And then secondly, uh, you know, the, the World Trade Organization. If we hadn't basically shipped all our jobs over to China, we would have had that prosperity as we did in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and early 80s. So, uh, but but China has pioneered a new form of capitalism. It's state capitalism, basically. It's you know, and the old definition of fascism is when corporations and government essentially merge their interests, a merger of corporate and state interests. So. Um, whether it's going to prevail and how it's going to shake out, you've, you've touched on a really big topic here, Sam, um, is anybody's guess right now, but they're trying to sell this form of government around the world, and that concerns me tremendously. Sam, thanks for the call. It was excellent. Jules in Whittier, California. Hey, Jules, you have a green tech idea? Uh, yeah, I, um, I love your show. I've uh, been studying plasma uh, technology. It's um, a branch of physics the Russians pioneered in the 50s, 1950s. But basically, you take a You're chamber and you... Free ions that are super hot? Yeah, and you can use it for trash. You can use it for fossil fuels. So I'm thinking, you know, this is something to look into. Uh, Biden should have a panel of, uh, you know, get the universities and a consortium and, and get some experts and have a actually a, a commission on green uh, energy alternatives. Um, it makes perfect sense because it'd be win-win with the fossil fuels. Uh, we could keep using them, you know, to an extent, but um, they wouldn't be uh, sour on it. And then we could have energy uh, from trash, for example, um, which is, mm-hmm. to me, it just makes a lot of sense. And uh, the technology is not that complex. I've been studying it for two, three years now. And I'm not a scientist, but it, it does. It makes a heck of a lot of sense if we can actually use the fossil fuels without burning them. You know, we're actually using the same. It's like nuclear energy in a way, without the byproducts. But you're using the power how you, of electricity. How do you get around the? In small the I forget which law of thermodynamics it is, but it, you know, how how do you produce more energy? in the process of using plasma than it takes to create plasma, because typically creating plasma requires massive amounts of, of, of typ- usually well, electricity, of energy. The, the principle is, uh, like Westinghouse, I believe it is, or General Electric, they're, they're building the chambers right now, you know, big barrels. The uh, mm. principle is, 
is you raise the temperature and and the electrons start breaking off the atoms and you have them bouncing around like tennis balls you know this but there's no a I, i've got that and they're using that for 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 toxic waste and things like that right now i get that but but yeah. uh, to to make it a more general technology these are insanely energy intensive uh, this is an insanely energy-intensive technology. It's not like nuclear fusion, where it's it, once me, it starts, it produces finish. its own energy. Okay. Let me finish. It's it. very brief. It's very brief. Yeah. Uh, but basically, once, one these, uh, once it gets to an ionized state, you know, a certain level of ionized state, you run a magnetic uh, beam through the uh, through the plasma chamber, and what happens? The electrons line up on this beam. And uh, mm-hmm. so you're generating electricity based on electrical energy. If I'm standing arm's length from you and you have a positive charge of uh, electricity and I have a negative charge of just 1% between our two bodies at arm's length, do you know how much energy that represents? No. Okay, it's enough energy to elevate the entire Earth. So there's an awful lot of uh, energy uh, that's uh, when you, I'm when skeptical you of that atomic trail. bomb, Drills. you do it all at once. But in this technology, you do it in increments, you control it, you do it slowly, and there's no byproducts. There's no yeah, CO2. Yeah, but plasma is not nuclear. You're you're not messing with the bonds between protons and and uh, and neutrons, which are the really really intense nuclear force bonds. You you're 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 moving electrons around. I mean, our bodies do that. You know, using ionized states. All you're doing is you're stripping the the electrons off the atoms, and you're using the energy, the electrical energy, which is what all of the universe is based on electrical energy anyway. Yeah, no, I get get that. But the the process of stripping the electrons, well, we're out of time. The the process of stripping the electrons is so energy intensive. I I, I guess I need to learn more about it. Jules, thanks for for giving me a heads up on this. I'll, I'll see what I can learn. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 